Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents a special segment of the Roundtable Podcast. One question, exploring what makes a good fight scene. With our special guests, Seth Skorkowski, Kat Rambo, David Annandale, Andrea Phillips, Brad Bollier, Gail Carriger, and David Nickel. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm KT Brisky. And this is One Question. On One Question, we ask a single question to a stellar collection of writers and editors. And the end result is a multifaceted jewel of insight, illuminating the scope and breadth of the writerly arts. Which might be something of a bold contention <laughs> leading off with this. But by golly, you gotta shoot for the stars. Maybe you'll hit the moon. Katie Brisky, speaking of multifaceted and luminous people, uh, thank oh my. you. <laughs> well, yes. Thank oh my. you so much for joining me for this for this exploration into this one intriguing facet of the writerly arts, ma'am. Oh, it is always a pleasure, Mr. Robison. Oh, lovely. I'm, just I'm holding an. Actually, I'm holding a D20 in my hand, but I'm pretending that it's a multifaceted jewel of insight. <laughs> and and you know, if you squint, by golly, you can make that happen. It is multifaceted. That's right. So that. It glitters like a jewel. Well, let's get into this. Let's 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 let our listeners in on what the one question is. We 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 polled a as you say a a stellar constellation of writers uh, and asked them all this question: What, in your opinion, is the key to writing a good fight or action scene? That was that was the question mm-hmm. that we offered, and and we have we have a, a, a veritable cornucopia, a, a buffet of of insights and inputs to get from this. But I'm real curious. Katie, in your experience, mm. have you written a lot of, of fight scenes or action scenes? And what's what's been your primary focus there? Ironically, I have not written a lot of fight scenes. I've done some. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my biggest thing that's helped me is something I'm going to steal from my friend Tony Pisculli, who's a fellow <laughs> Stone Coast alum. Um, and he said the way to think about fight scenes is they're basically another form of dialogue. Ooh. The fight is what happens when words fail. So just when like you have that back and forth in a dialogue, you're doing the same in a fight scene. That's intriguing. Yeah. So actually, it's funny because working with actors as frequently as I do, what they taught me is that actors verb every line, right? So <laughs> if you give them a line of dialogue, they attach a verb to it. I'm kind of realizing it. you can go the other way, too. If you have a verb or an action, really, if you think about it, you can attach a line of dialogue to it. Oh, absolutely. Um, so thinking of fights as basically silent arguments. Well, not silent, lots of clanging and swords and such. Well, yes. Um, but as another form of dialogue has really helped me get my head around it. That's an intriguing perspective, and and I can see how that would you know establish things like pacing and cadence and all the things that you attach Balance, to dialogue. motivation. Yeah, motivation as well. Because what are you trying to do when you're thrust? I'm not going to use the word thrust. What are you doing <laughs> when you're say slashing or parrying over there? Um, are you seeking to attack? Are you trying to defend? Are you trying to throw them off balance? Every action, whether it's a fight or not, has a motivation attached to it. Just like words um, do. And every just like word words that you say do. would have an attention as well. Yeah. That hmm, makes so perfect sense. 
Yeah, so as a playwright, that's helped me the most because, God, like, me and a sword would probably be a bad combination. <laughs> that being said, that being said, also getting on your feet and trying to block things out can be helpful. Um, oh, my goodness, philosophically, yes. Oh, my goodness, but philosophically, the, the fighting is dialogue has helped me the most. Excellent. Excellent. Listeners, tuck that into your writer's toolbox and see where that takes you. We actually have a lot of tools to tuck in these people's toolboxes. And and let me let, let, let's begin our, our our tour of of the one question roster, shall we? Yes. Yes. Well, first on the list is Master Seth Skorkowski. Now, Seth's debut novel, Damorin, was released in 2014 by Ragnarok Publications, and the second novel, I love this name, Hunassier, was released in Ooh. March of 2000. Yes, very French. Released in March 2015. Now, these are part of his Valducan series, an urban fantasy featuring nasty monsters, modern day knights, and a sentient pistol. And if that doesn't send you to the Amazon pages, I don't know what will. Uh, he also tends to thrive in the short fiction arena. Uh, in fact, his serial pulp hero thief, The Black Raven, has appeared in two collections of short stories, The Mountain of Daggers, followed by Sea of Quills. Now, this is pulpy sword and sorcery at its best, friends. And you know there's going to be plenty of fight scenes in this thing. So let's see what Seth has to say about writing a good fight scene. Well, the uh, three things that I always try to say that you have to have is a fear from the hero, uh, either for themselves or for someone else, their their goal that they're trying to achieve, a sense of danger. Uh, The hero, there has to be a threat. If the hero is just Superman going in and they have no risk of harm, then it's, uh, it's not very exciting. And there has to be some form of action. Uh, by the hero. They can't just be an observer to it. They need to make some sort of contribution to the action if you're in their point of view or if you're following them. Uh, If you establish your setting beforehand, that way you're not stopping in the middle of an action scene to describe what's going on and you'll need to interact with that uh, setting. That way it's not just some random background behind them. They're you know, jumping behind the chairs or they're going through the doors. And keep the action scene short. Don't go too long with it. Keep the sentences, for the most part, short but diversified. Don't just staccato short little sentences. So that was Seth Skorkowski. And, and Katie, I loved his, his invocation of the setting. Mm-hmm. As a part of that consideration, especially the idea that, you know, if you if you define your setting in advance, you don't have as much getting in the way of of the descriptors that are, are required to at least put in the set pieces of the fight itself. It's true. And I think if you're in a situation like that, if you're in first person or limited third person, what your viewpoint character is going to be noticing is probably only those details that are relevant True. Um, like I might not notice the color of the wallpaper, but I will notice if there's a couch that I can hide behind. Which <laughs> shows you what kind of fighter I'd be. Um, <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's cool when you can actually get setting that's integral to the fight. It was he while he was talking about that, I was actually thinking of the Princess Bride. Ooh. And they yes. do all the sword fighting in amongst the rocks. Yes, and using yeah. the Agrippa and your Capapel and all of that. Yes. Absolutely. And, and, and his other points are, are, you know, they kind of speak back to your, your dialogue factor. You know, there has to be intent and action on the part of the, of the protagonist, the, pro, the, the, the focus character. Uh, and there has to be something at stake. 
There has to yeah. be danger, and and you know that kind of imply that's honestly that should be through the whole story though. Well, yes. I mean, she came to the nth degree in a fight scene or an action scene, obviously. Sure, and especially if you take that attitude of uh, this is where words fail. You know, actions mm-hmm. pick up where words fail. The dialogue continues. That's yeah. awesome. Very cool. Well, next on our list, we have Cat Rambo. And I'm telling you, writer, uh, editor, uh, mentor, uh, president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Uh, she is the whole package. Plus, she's just pretty fabulous in general. Uh, she's been nominated for a Nebula for her short story, Five Ways to Fall in Love on Planet Porcelain. Uh, uh, and she's the winner of the World Fantasy Award for her editorial tenure at Fantasy Magazine. Now, her first novel, The Beasts of Tabat, hit stands this year. And I'm not going to brag, but I did get my copy autographed at Worldcon by the author. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and she's just announced a new round of online classes. And this is really kind of cool, including some on-demand curriculum, which is really something new in the way she explores and expresses her, her, her teaching vibe through her website. So, And I'll make sure links to all that goodness are in the liner notes. But let's, let's hear her thoughts on crafting of a good fight scene. I think there are three things that go into it. And the first is that a fight scene needs to be like a little story. There needs to be ups and downs and backs and forth and a a moment when you think things are lost and then they're recovered and all of that. Two, it needs to be affected by the world it takes place in. So, you know, if you're in a sandy world of dunes and people need to be stumbling in the sand and a sandstorm springing up, and you just need to kind of, I think both take advantage of what's there and also uh, make it real for the reader. And the third thing is that it needs to be interesting in that something needs to be at stake. Um, There has to be some, not just reason for the fight taking place, but something that some result that will happen or not, or as a result of the fight. I find it very interesting, Katie, that that both Seth and Kat have have defined these like three pillars of a good fight scene. And and uh, spoiler, I've listened to all of these, and a lot of the responses uh, uh, have have identified these multiple cornerstones of a fight scene. And I guess that's not too surprising because because writing really is a, a multifaceted, you know, words do. Mo- what, multitask, multi-service? There's a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, Elizabeth Pand, um, who's also won like a million awards, says that every word should be punching above its weight. Like you want every word to be doing the work, well, three things at once, basically. Yeah, and so, and here's our three pillars uh, arising okay. again. So, and and that really kind of affirms your perspective that you offered initially of, of, of fighting as dialogue. Mm-hmm. And what I find very interesting about Kat's response there is it's essentially the same three pillars uh, as our first response, just phrased slightly differently yeah. in a different order. And 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 looked at from a different perspective. Because Kat's stories, you know, I, I, I've read both of those authors and, mm. and they both tell marvelous stories, but very, very different stories. And and Kat's perspective, you know, one of, one of the benefits of this one question format is that you not only get 
insights into, you know, the topic of the one question, but you also get some insights into these authors and how they approach their fiction. And and while yes, Kat and Seth said very much the same thing, I think their emphasis and their the application of those pillars is utterly unique from one yes. to the next. And, yes, I would say that. And that's just that's just very, very cool. And and you know, to 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 hit on on Kat's first point about the nature of the ebb and the flow of the fight, you know, and, and, you know, you're going to hear the term choreography invoked at least once <laughs> in these, in these, either by oh, us. Oh, it or, would be remiss yeah. if we didn't. Ex- exactly. Uh, but, you know, to, to keep waxing on the, on the metaphor of a physical dialogue, there is pacing. There are slow moments and fast moments, crisis points and denouements. And to have the structure that most storytellers are familiar with, the structure of a story to be applied in microcosm to a fight really, I think, kind of is is a wonderful template to, to make sure that your fight is serving its purpose in the context of the story. It's almost like a cell within the larger organism of the story. Yes, very much so. And receiving input from the other cells and other uh, organisms within the story. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good metaphor. Well, next on our roster is is David Annandale. Uh, Now, his fiction spans horror, thrillers, sci-fi, fantasy, including dozens of short stories and novels for the Black Library, which is the literary branch of the Warhammer 40K role-playing game. Now, he also writes nonfiction and commentary on film and video games and teaches all of that at the University of Manitoba brilliant insights. We've had him on the show before, and it's it's just been a delight. Uh, his latest work, The Sons of Titan, is a collection of his short stories following the grim adventures of Justicar Steyr and his squad of Grey Knights as they battle the infernal forces of the Plague God across the Imperium. So you know he's got some ideas on the topic of fight scenes. So let's, let's hear what those are. I guess I would say meaning. And that can uh, take on a couple of different aspects. So say, for instance, you have uh, two vast armies of warriors about to go at it, hammer and tongs, and uh, deprived of context, this is just going to be dull. But if I now tell you that this is the Battle of Hastings and the future of uh, a nation will depend upon it, all right, so that's that raises the stakes somewhat. But even that um, isn't enough. What meaning does the fight have for the the protagonist or the the, the characters involved, whoever the the point of view figures are for the battle? So be over and above survival. Uh, What dramatic purpose is this going to accomplish for them? Or what significance is this conflict going to have? So that there's something at stake beyond merely the clamor of war in uh, in what follows. So... You know, in in this context, David is, you know, and I'm sure he's cognizant of of all of the other factors, but he's invoking uh, uh, a very specific and and very important part of the fight scene's biology or composition. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because I think there's a tendency uh, uh, for young writers, writers young in their craft, and I certainly <laughs> fallen victim to this, uh, uh, gee, things are kind of slow, I think I'll throw in a fight scene. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, Beat and, them up. Yeah. yeah and, and, Get you know, excited. It's it's not a bad instinct because clearly you're aware that the, the, the tempo is flagging and we need to pick that up. I feel like you're trying to inject conflict. Well, yes, exactly. And that's heavy handed. And, and I think what David is saying here is that, you know, the the meaning, the the outcome, the stakes, the 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 value of the conflict needs to be crystal clear uh, uh, so that the reader can get behind uh, and 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 have an investment, have a stake in the outcome along with the characters themselves. Yes, and I think he's saying we need to have a reason, or the participants, I guess, need to have a reason to care as well. Yes. Because, um, yes, Battle of Hastings Nation depends on it. That's cool and stuff. Uh, but having that very deeply personal, very deeply visceral, how will this affect me personally, one way or the other, yeah. I think he's saying is what's also really going to get the reader hooked in and give them that reason to empathize with the characters and to stay along for that glorious ride. Very much so. And and if you can get both, if you can get those personal stakes and those larger, you know, maybe not global, but certainly national or or even, you know, in the context of a village. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. but, but having multiple layers of meaning and relevance and stakes in the in the fight will just make it that much more critical and have everybody on the edge of their seats. Well, again, it's that same theme of words doing more than one thing at a time. Yeah, and and by God, fights should do the same. I agree. (laughs) Well, next on our roster of awesomeness is Andrea Phillips. Uh, Now, Andrea rocks the transmedia storytelling vibe, and she's won awards for her work in the industry and even wrote the definitive book on the subject, A Creator's Guide to Transmedia Storytelling. Now, her own transmedia story, The Daring Adventures of Captain Lucy Smokeheart, is in the process of being collected into an omnibus, uh, but don't think that her storytelling mojo ends there. Her first novel, Revision, which is about a wiki site where any edits made to the entries there become true. <laughs> has been getting a lot of very well-deserved attention from the literati. And, of course, there's more in the works. Uh, she was, uh, just recently, a guest host on the RTP just a week or so ago. So go and check that out later. But right now, let's see what Andrea has to say about fight scenes. The key to a good fight, I, I think, is... Well, actually, I think it's two things. One of them is short sentences... Because the longer your sentences get, the less you have any urgency in the scene that you're writing. Uh, And the other one is not getting too involved in blocking. I think a lot of fights kind of lose you by trying to tell you specifically where someone's hand is and what the trajectory of of the, the punches and kicks are. Or, you know, exactly where each bullet goes, depending on what kind of fight you're writing. Um, and, and all of that is kind of a little unnecessary. You, you really just need to give an impressionistic vision and not uh, a complete and final and perfect idea of exactly what happens. It's not choreography. We got the word choreography. Yes, we did get the word choreography, only she says it's not. And that's, uh, I, I cannot tell you how much that resonates for me because friends, Kitty and I had the had the pleasure of uh, attending a Smoky Writers uh, uh, retreat uh, last February. And, and 
Katie, you got to hear some of my action sequences, and I think one of the notes that you gave me was, you know, you don't need all of those details. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> well, and it's very, very true. And, and you know, honestly, you know, if you take uh, uh, what we've heard so far from all of the individuals, they're, they're talking about this... Uh, it, it's a fight. It's it's not a, a precise uh, uh, blocked event necessarily. It's it's an emotional engagement of some kind. Skill is involved, but the emotion and the action is a blur. Uh, so, so not having to worry so much about those details and ensure that the, the action is not necessarily tied to specific events. I think that I think that's good advice. I think so. I think it's worth remembering there's more to a fight scene than just the placement of arms and legs and weapons, but it's also the physical sensations, like the heartbeat in the yeah. throat, the smells, the sounds. Um, Absolutely. The environment. Yeah, you know, As has totally. been invoked several times. And you know how uh, sometimes in crisis, like people focus on very specific, but really odd details. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. That tends to come through too. That being said though, I think it is a fine balance because if you say have... I don't know, a hundred pound woman fighting and beating a 200 pound man. There's, there's some choreography that has to happen. Yeah. There needs to be something there. <laughs> Although that would be a challenge. I, I, I think to try and, and uh, I mean, clearly you, you would need to justify that in some way, shape or form. So it's credible to the reader. Uh, uh, but yeah, that might be a good exercise, a good writing exercise to see just yeah. how lean and terse you could do that. And, and to go back to, to Andrea's, very first point, you know, the short sentences. You know, Seth brought that up as well. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I found it interesting that, that Andrea put that first, just, just in the context of pacing of a story is accomplished a lot of different ways. And the, the brevity of your sentences is a very effective tool in that. And, and I've, I've noticed that in my own writing, when I do shorten the sentences, when things become terse, uh, uh, things, the, 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 the sense of momentum, the sense of speed and, and things happening very quickly does escalate. I almost think it mimics the quickening breath and the quickening heartbeat, right? We, we speed up. Yeah. When we get tense as people. And having yeah. the words echo that or, or reinforce that, that physical uh, uh, acceleration, that just makes perfect sense. Yeah, especially in something like a fight scene where it's all about, well, it's not just about the physical, but the physical plays a very large part in it. That's right. That's absolutely right. No, I love that. That's awesome. Uh, so moving on, we've got epic fantasy author Brad Bollier. And I love being able to say epic fantasy author because uh, uh, I've was i been listening to Brad Bollier on uh, Speculate for, for a very long time and it's been wonderful to watch his career just explode. Uh, his, his most recent novel, The Twelve Kings of Sherrick High, which is the first installment of his Song of Shattered Sand series, it hit stands last September and it's already earning accolades from all the best people. Uh, he made his mark uh, upon epic fantasy uh, with his very well-received Lays of Anaskea series. And along with Greg Wilson, as I mentioned, he is the co-host of the second best writer's podcast in the Potosphere, uh, which is Speculate. Uh, uh, actually, it's probably the first. It, it, it certainly has a special place each week in my podcatcher. Uh, so, and, and now here's Brad and, and his whole take on the fight scene thing. Well, I think, in my opinion, this is built on top of three different pillars. Um, the first pillar being that we have to care about the characters. 
Uh, because if we don't care about the people that are fighting, we don't really care what happens to them. Um, and then what we're left with is really, it doesn't matter how blockbuster effecty we, we have in the fight scene itself. All we have is sizzle and no substance. Um, so that's number one. And you may have some rare examples in the beginning of a book where you're starting with a fight scene. Um, and you don't really get care about the characters because you don't know them. But I, I think the outcomes of those may make you care for them more later. So that's number one. Uh, the second is we have to care about the outcome. Um, and so this relates to the consequences or the stakes. Um, the fight itself shouldn't be meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, like all scenes, it really should move the plot forward or back. Uh, it should reveal character. It should provide some sort of payoff for the character, perhaps. Um, and so for the reader. Uh, and that way it's performing double duty. Um, and lastly, it has to be interesting. Uh, just like a verbal argument or like a sexual encounter, um, an action scene should have an ebb and flow. It should have two or perhaps more characters that are trying different tactics to reach their goal as the scene continues. Uh, in other words, it should evolve and it should reach the satisfying, if you'll excuse the pun, climax. And but um bum there's there you go, the climax of the fight scene. <laughs> See, and and you know, just as a as an aside, uh I'm sure I'm gonna get calls from every author that we include from this point forward saying, damn it, you should have put me first. That way I could have broken this this new information to the listener. because uh, once again, we have those three pillars. And, and he even refers to them as such. Uh, exactly, exactly. And and I think that really just kind of affirms, you know, for our listeners and for you and I, Katie, the fact that, you know, there are different perspectives and, and there are a few yet to come in the, the people we'll be hearing from next. But the fact that these authors, these these splendid, superb authors are all going to these, you know, fairly similar uh, uh, three or four, you could argue, uh, uh pillars or, or icons of the fight scene. I think that kind of affirms that, yeah, this is important stuff. It's relevant. I think so. And I think it's interesting, too, how they're looking at these very similar tools, but using them in very, very different ways. Yes. Which is something you see a lot in writing. There's only so many ways you can string them words together. But sure. It's your take on it. Exactly. And and you hear that time and again that, you know, don't worry if someone else has done your thing or, or they is... they haven't done it like you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought it was cool that Brad invoked the, you know, the scenario of, of a fight scene at the beginning of a book. Uh, because, you know, several, not, not a lot, but several books that I've read lead with that very exciting, ooh, fight scene. Rah! and And he's right. You don't know what the stakes are. But in those moments of passion and and life and death circumstances, uh, it's a great way to expose the reader to the truth of your characters. Because, you know, you, there's there's a phrase, I'm sure there's a saying somewhere that says, you know, the truth of a person's soul will be exposed in battle in some way, shape or form. For me, at the beginning of books, it usually doesn't do it for me. Okay. Enough of that. Okay. Could be personal preference. Um, although I did appreciate that he also invoked uh, the dialogue. <laughs> although, right? Uh, fight fight scenes as sex scenes. I hadn't considered that before. I, I think know. I like that. I, I think I like that. You can thrust and parry. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but on a more serious note, the same idea of pacing, of increasing tension and then coming back down a little bit, and then yes, climaxing. 
Sure. Um, I think you see that in sex scenes. I think you see that in extended dialogue. I think you see that in fight scenes. And I think you see that, of course, in the story as a whole. In a funny way, they all have the same DNA, don't they? Yeah, they really do. Well, let's let's move on to our second to last uh, member of our of our roster of awesomeness here, uh, and that would be Gail Carriger. Uh, and there are few people in this business more charming, more talented, or more fabulous than award-winning and New York Times best-selling author Gail Carriger. Her five-book Parasol Protectorate series chronicles the exploits of the quite literally soulless Alexia Terabati and features large Scottish werewolves a battle parasol, gossip, and triacle tots. Now, the Finishing School series, which is a follow-up to that, is a young adult collection following Sophronia and her tenure at the Finishing Academy, a term they take quite literally there, uh, that's located in a giant caterpillar-like dirigible. And she has a new series that's that's just launched, uh, the Custard Protocol series, featuring Rue and a marauding band of miscreants trying to save the British Empire. Uh, and she also has an audio sci-fi tale titled Crud Rat Out in the World and numerous other divergencies in literary eccentricities. Uh, and here are her thoughts on the proper fight scene. Well, I am a fan of, and I didn't realize this until you asked this question of me, I am a fan of fight scenes and action scenes that are in larger groups. So either like big broad battle scenes or if it's a if it's a more intimate pov perspective smaller fight scenes but not necessarily one-on-one when i'm reading and writing and i didn't realize this until i i tackled this question and so what makes them good i guess for me are the breaks in those scenes so I used to be a a dancer and we were always told when you're dancing that the points when you are still are as important, if not more important than the points when you're moving. And I feel like it's the same thing in a fight sequence. So you can just describe and talk about a very fast paced action sequence with a lot of people coming in and out and, and attacking each other. But there are little breaks in those. and, And personally, I use those for humor, but there are pauses while somebody nearly dies or someone is ducking. Or, and those are almost more important than the fights themselves. And as a reader and as a writer, I find myself gravitating to those moments. I, I feel like the chaos is an integral part of those fight scenes. But the beauty in the fight scene is the pauses and the moments where the intimate, the character involved in the fight uh, pauses to step back and think or make a funny quip or the overseer the general if it's being if it's a war sequence that's being told from that perspective pauses to kind of talk about how the strategy is is taking place below so i guess for me as a writer my advice is yes the action is super exciting and and you have to get those pulse points really well but also the time the pauses in the scene is just as important, if not more so. So that was very cool, just because while Gail was affirming that that notion of pacing and tempo, she really kind of gave us some very cool insights into how to work the pacing and tempo and rhythm of a fight scene. Yeah, it was a very different perspective than the ones we've gotten so far. 
Very much so. It's really cool. Well, and the idea of those pauses, I mean, and you kind of alluded to it in some of your comments earlier in terms of, you know, the way the fight unfolds and, you know, ducking behind the sofa and everything. But, but Gail is, is, you know, that, that whole metaphor she used of the dancer and those moments when you are still are just as important, if not more so, than as they are when you're moving. And I think that's one of those elusive mysteries uh, uh, that that writers, I think, maybe stumble upon with time and experience, but it's not an instinctive thing. You think a fight scene is a fight scene, and there shouldn't be any pauses or breaks. I think the way she's describing it, too, it sounds like she's really focusing on the contrast mm-hmm. between, say, the funny quip, quip and the person almost dying. And it's often in juxtaposing those contrasts together, that they're both heightened. Right. Um, So it's actually a very clever thing that she's doing, having them side by side and letting the stillness of those moments make the chaos and the action that much bigger. Exactly. Just by contrast. Exactly. And, And that makes the reader sit up and take notice. You know, you and and you 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 can almost hear the the reader's brain panting as you as you hit this this lull in the action because if you've done your work right and and you know as Brad invoked and, and so many others the, the the if you care then it's your edge of your seat and then oh, oh, oh. it's like being on a roller coaster and you get to the top they don't send you right over eh they let you, they, they let you sit for a second that's right and it's that second that makes the drop an oh my god thing that's right. That's right. Very much so. Very much so. I like that. I like that a lot. So our last entry in this particular episode of One Question uh, is being provided by David Nickel. Uh, now, he's a Toronto-based author and journalist. I, say, I think I know him. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I wouldn't be surprised. You guys might be neighbors for crying out loud. Uh, his stories rarely fit into a comfortable niche. Uh, A common thread of horrific tension tends to run through his tales, whether they be sci-fi or fantasy or just plain stories. Uh, He's appeared in the year's best fantasy and horror, uh, the Northern Frights series, the Queer Fear series, Cemetery Dance, On Spec, and many more. Uh, His works include Utopia, a novel of terrible optimism, Rasputin's Bastards, Monstrous Affections, and more. And I personally had the pleasure of narrating his story Knife Fight over at the mighty Pseudopod. Uh, And I can say it without hesitation. It was one of the most marvelous and the most challenging stories I've ever narrated. Uh, uh, And as a voice actor, Katie, you'll appreciate this. His prose is very rich and very precise, and his stories are very atmospheric. And, And, you know, we've talked about words pulling double and triple duty. This dude does it in spades, uh, uh, and and really, the story was so good that I was I was utterly compelled to rise to the occasion to meet the challenge. So and and Dave really kind of waxes rhapsodic here, and I think kind of gathers all the threads uh, that have been discussed and and weaves a few of his own. So let's check this out. Well, there are a couple of things that are key to that. Uh, the first thing is I I firmly believe that a fight mat or an action scene, particularly in prose shouldn't take that long um, because really in terms of experience, not that I've lived through a lot of fight scenes myself, but it, it seems to me and it makes sense that these things go go by rather quickly. Um, I, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid and I was always amazed that they would have these melee rounds that would take about a minute where you would have one shot in a minute and really in any fight that you can imagine, it's over in about 20 seconds. If um, 
unless there's some bizarre extenuating extenuating circumstance. So the first thing that you've got to do is uh, is is recognize that and so and find some way to convey that. Often when I write a fight scene, I try to do it in a, a sequence of of short sentences describing what the protagonist is doing, what he's what he is seeing his his opponent do, how that's responded to. Uh, the prose at that point has to get pretty lean. There's no real room for metaphor. There's no room for fancy description. You should have set all of that up in the um, in the moments leading up to the scene, or uh, if the scene is an utter shock in, in the aftermath of it. You should uh, at the same time not get too too specific and detailed in terms of in terms of what is going on. You should have a have a sense of how the movements are going with, with, without offering a kind of a blow by blow verbal YouTube video on how to stab a fellow. Um, <laughs> And and there needs to be some some sensual detail about, about this as well. At the same time, uh, if if my hero uh, has a bullet graze his shoulder, there is a feeling to that. There's a sensation to that, but it's not the kind of sensation again that goes into great and terrible detail. Uh, because first off, when simply physiologically, when when one is injured, there's a certain amount of shock. You don't immediately you don't immediately feel all the things that are happening to you. And I think that. Uh, that kind of sums it up. Um, it's it's also as much as I'm saying it's important to be quick. It's also important to pace things. Um, I think that in a satisfying fight scene, I actually enjoy going through the thought processes of my of my characters as they're trying to figure out what they're going to do when when you see somebody that is going to be an, an, an opponent in a physical struggle. There there should be some thought process. Hopefully, where you're reasonably competent protagonist is is sizing up his opponent and sussing out his own sense of his own capacity um it, it's very different if you're uh, writing from the perspective of uh jason verhees or, or or woody allen on the other side of it uh, one, in, in one case you're going to be evoking fear in the other case crazy homicidal overconfidence those are two very different fight scenes um both perhaps comic in their own way and that's something else i mean a good a good fight scene i think should evoke either terror or, or comedy. I've always thought that terror and comedy are, are very similar uh, emotions to one another, just one, one degree one way, one degree or the other. I, I often, and this is probably a bad, a bad thing to admit as a, as, as a writer of fiction, I often do think about those, those glorious cinematic fight scenes that you have and the old Richard Lester Three Musketeers and Four Musketeers. Those, those sword fights are delightfully funny. And I think that there's some lessons in that, that our, our fallibility and vulnerability uh, come come to the fore in uh, in action scenes, and those should never be discounted. At some point, you run out of breath as you're trying to pummel your enemy, and uh, and how how you respond to that is very human, and it's what brings the reader into um, into that frame of mind, into being able to empathize very much. I, I, I should have been taking notes. <laughs> I yeah. really should have. Because yeah. he has so many thoughts. And, and the, the, the two that jumped out at me, and, and I, I want to ask you what, which two jumped out at you, or three or four, uh, mm. uh, is, is the brevity of the fight scene. And, and that never really occurred to me. But when you think about it, and, and again, Dave is, is in, in the works of his that I've read, uh, however broad of stroke and atmospheric they are there's always this very grounded sense of, of reality uh even in his most fantastical moments uh, uh you always feel this this authenticity to what's happening so so a brief fight 
is an interesting concept, even though you know it might take a few pages to to list out. Uh, uh, keeping it brief makes sense. The other thing that that jumped out at me was the sensory input, and we've kind of uh, addressed that in in passing. Uh, but he made a, a very good, solid point of it. The, and I think you brought it up earlier as well. The mm-hmm. the wounds that you have, the sweat, the heat that you feel, or the cold, or whatever. Uh, uh, making sure that you're you're consistently invoking those five senses that they say you know make sure you put that in all of your writing well it belongs in your in your fight scenes as well yeah i think it really helps you become grounded in the scene and what's really struck me through the course of this chat as well is just how much fight scenes mimic the physical both as we talked about in the rhythm of the prose and he talked again about having very short sentences mm-hmm. um getting into the sensory stuff and i really liked what he brought in too about how this is what exposes your vulnerability in your fallibility. And we yes. also touched on that. Um, but it seems to me like the fight scene really is just a stripping down to the essential of that moment, which is perhaps why they're so powerful and they're so visceral for us. Sure, sure, yeah. There's it's like a, a distillation. Exactly, a, a crucible. Uh, yes. Where, where, where every all the other the the frippery and the and the the, the mental uh, dancing and and the walls the out loud dialogue like everything. Yes, you're you're stri- been boiled off, and we're left with literary gold. Literary gold, indeed. And and the other thing that that, that he brought up was the notion of humor. In yeah. the fight scene, and Gail touched on that as well with the the funny quip as you go through it, and and you know if you're doing like a scaramouche kind of thing or or a uh, oh long nose. Um Cyrano, you know you, that's to be expected because there's the panache and the flair. Uh, the cape swirling. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. But I'm I'm reminded of a technique that uh, that Steven Spielberg used in Jaws. Uh, right before the shark would appear early on in the movie, he'd always make sure that there was a curse word or something funny that gets said right beforehand because humor drops the defenses. And what happens next is cutting through all of your barriers, all of your your mental uh, filters, they all drop when you laugh. And so if you can work in humor and then follow up with a dramatic thrust, pardon the pun that we just keep, <laughs> we just got to keep using because of what we're talking about. Because uh, we have to. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Then, then it has that much more impact and effect on your reader. Definitely. I think it's that idea of contrast once again. Yes. Yes, very much so. So let's let's try and recap all of the things that we've learned in this one question. Uh, uh, one, I'll I'll start. We'll, we'll go back and forth, so none of us hogs all the good stuff. Uh, uh, brevity of of text uh, will accentuate and and accelerate uh, uh, the events in the the fight scene itself. That's one. Uh, using the setting in the world in which the fight takes place. Yes. To its advantage will help keep you grounded and I presume also flesh out the fight itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And setting that up first so you don't have to do a lot of explanation during the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, making sure the fight has meaning and relevance uh, to the character and, if possible, on a larger scale so that the investment of the reader is accentuated that much more. Uh, having a structure and a flow and a pacing. To yes. the actual fight scene itself. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and capturing those pauses and those brief, uh, 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 quiet moments within a chaotic fight. And again, as you say, using the contrast. Yes, absolutely. And using humor. Having humor be a tool, it, it might not be appropriate in every fight, but there's even a dark humor that you can invoke, I think. And and having that be a, a, a setup or, or a tool for you to drop your, your listeners' defense, your listeners, <laughs> I'm such a podcaster mm-hmm. and an audio <laughs> fiction guy, uh, your readers uh, uh, to drop their defenses and let the drama that follows uh, get right past them. And I think using fight scenes as well to show the innermost deepest human part of your protagonist that vulnerability and that Mm -hmm. fallibility that's there when everything else gets tripped away yeah yeah i i think that's i think that's critical and 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 that you know that's that's an opportunity that is not obvious that's another one of those hidden mystery things about what you can do with a fight scene it's not just to break up the flow of your story it needs to have that that weight and moment and it's as you say an opportunity to strip them bare and let the reader see the truth of them very eloquent i like it yes ah do we miss anything maybe we've covered it all well you know that's the beauty of podcasting katie is that we can roll this back and our listeners can do the same and catch all the awesomeness that was going on in all of those conversations the nuances not just about fight scenes and action scenes and how to make them carry the load they need to carry in the context of your story, but also some very intriguing insights into these authors and how they approach these conflicts and these action scenes and these fights in their own fiction. And every one of them is is worth your time and worth your exploration. So check out the liner notes in the episode. You will be able to see all of their clicky clickable stuff down there. And I do encourage you to do so. So, Katie, any any closing thoughts or or uh, parting words to to sum this conflictatory experience? This multifaceted gem of an episode. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. I would encourage listeners to go back and listen again yeah. because much like fight scenes themselves, our authors have all been multifaceted with the insights they have provided. I'm sure you will get a new nuance every time. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Well, friends, thank you so much as always for tuning in. The regular roundtable podcast cycle of 20-minute interviews and workshop episodes will resume next week, but we couldn't pass up this opportunity to share all of this wonderful insight with you. Thank you so much, and as always, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyrighted 2015 by WonderThing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. You can even use segments of it in your own projects as long as you release it under the same licensing terms and cite WonderThing Studios as the source. We'd like to extend our special thanks to the authors who participated in this episode. Seth Skorkowski, Kat Rambo, David Annandale, Andrea Phillips, Brad Bollier, Gail Carriger, and David Nickel. Sharing your insights and experience helped open doors of understanding and inspiration for all of us, and we're deeply grateful. The regular Roundtable podcast feed picks up next week. Until then, as always, thank you for listening.